right. So do you want to talk about um, your projections um, from your position? There's nothing wrong with speculating about this stuff. We don't, you know, have to be exactly right and have authoritative knowledge of each and every best picture contender. But you have this list up. I think it's pretty interesting. Why don't we just get into that? Yeah, yeah. Well, first, <coughs> first me, I want to, yeah, I do. And I, I, the only thing I was trying to tell you over text was that, you know, when it comes to the Oscar race, I'm always bet. I'm always, I always think it's better to err on the side of it's possible rather than on the side of it's impossible. That's just my own personal. I didn't say that the David Fincher film was impossible, but when is the last time a genre film about an assassin was even considered as being best picture worthy? I mean, that's the kind of thing. That number one, the woke community isn't particularly interested in. Uh, Fassbender, for one thing, he's 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 not he's a white guy. That's not particularly interesting. Well, it, it doesn't matter because, you know, there is still an element of people in the academy that vote on quality films, and and he you only, mean like ten percent, <laughs> well, or twenty percent? <laughs> I that. put it this way: if Dune got in, you know what I mean? Like Dune, mm-hmm. come on, so. And 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 uh, Top Gun Maverick. So I mean, it's, it it you know, we're just talking about Top nominations. Top Gun Maverick, as as you know, had a compelling narrative, being that it's a movie that almost single handedly saved exhibition, at least as far as the summer of. I know, but trust me, as, as that was a pretty compelling narrative. I know, but as a fan of David Fincher's, to put it mildly, yeah. I can promise you that yeah. they will not pass up his movie with ten nomination slots. Give me a break. But it is, it does turn out to be quite the competitive year, which is really surprising, um, mm-hmm. I think. Because I, I just, I really do feel, and your commenters, of course, would say something like, oh, oh, see, it's not the, 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 the you know, the doom that you're making it out to be all the time. And, and you know, uh-huh. right. I, 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 I agree. I don't think it is. In looking at this list, it is, it is hopeful and promising. I think, but you know, we okay. thought you know you can think that all you want, but like you said, when it gets mm-hmm. down to it, the more people whittle it down, the more they say no, this not this one, no, this not that one. Eventually, mm-hmm. you're looking at something that is uh, limeted. I think. Um, anyway, so well, before we get try, into that, try, uh, I want to go ahead. I'm sorry. It's okay. I just I, I you know you just got back from Cannes. I want to hear about it, uh, and you know I want to hear what you thought of, of everything and, you know, killers of the flower moon and all that. Okay. Yes. I will tell you. And that, what, what, um, what was the general feeling there in, uh, in about the killers of the flower moon or just in general about movies and such? Well, I would say that the, <clears throat> the feeling was that it's, it's wonderful to have a regular can festival back it's not, uh, you know, compromised or diminished by, by COVID, and it's it's a um, it's, it feels like you know the way it should be. It was a good, rich festival, and I think people were generally speaking pretty pretty pleased, you know, with the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, I was certainly, you know, I, I'm always frustrated. See what we had to do this time. I mean, in order to save money. Uh, we got booted out of this beautiful place that we've been in for, um, I had been in for quite some time. 
years. And um, I won't go into the reasons why we got kicked out, but it was uh, not, not my fault. Anyway, the long and the short is that we basically chose a very uh, nice place in the Palm Beach area, which is on the right side of the huge crescent, the Bay Crescent of Cannes. And it required, a you know, like a 25 to 30 minute walk, which is healthy and good and no problem. But it did mean that, um, you know, that there was it was I somehow uh, between wanting to file at least four or five stories a day. I couldn't quite get to uh, to, you know, some of them. And I should have gotten to them. I'm always, uh, you know, I always managed to somehow miss the the big award winners and and. Um, there was uh, one that uh, uh, that Owen mentioned. Oh yeah, uh, it was called uh, the the Justine Triet film, uh, Anatomy of a Fall, which I didn't see. I didn't see. I wish I really, really wish I hadn't seen it. I just couldn't uh, manage it, and that's always my failing as a, as a Cannes Film Festival person. Uh, and I didn't see Fallen Leaves, which seemed dreary to me and i just sort of made the spot call that i would write instead of watch it um i I did see most of the other uh uh, films that i think really had it really had it big time uh particularly and the one that i i think i know is going to be absolutely worshipped and loved by the academy uh and that's um the pot au feu, the um, uh, otherwise known in France as the, the Passion de Dordain Buffon. Uh, it's magnificent uh, foodie movie, and mm. everybody's going to just love the fuck out of this movie. It's really great. I mean, it's one of the few <clears throat> moments of times in Cannes, actually the only time when I really felt, all right, this is a home run. There's no question about it. When I went up to a young guy, who is um, does a regular uh, YouTube um, uh, you know assessment of the of uh, the Oscar scene? <clears throat> and, is that uh, Oscar experts guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and I was like almost breathless in 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 love for this film. I was I had really been touched. I knew I had. It's not a matter of speculation or maybe I should like this because everybody else. Said. I knew when I had I had seen something that really got me. And I, I told him, "Do you did you see it? Did you feel this way? Do you do?" You? And he he went like he looked at me almost like a robot, like a political robot. And oh said, dear! Yeah, I liked it. I liked it. I liked it. I mean, the, right then and there, I knew that there would be a significant section, uh, the younger people in particular. I don't I don't know that you have to be over thirty to be a person who appreciates really good foodie movies, but this is really good. And it's not just a foodie movie. That sounds. Um, overly focused and kind of gluttonous on some level, but it's not. It's a spiritual love story that is accompanies a, a, a worship of food preparation. Not yet, not the eating of it. It's the preparation that's the joy, really. So it's magnificent. I just think it's going to be. It's. I hope that it's the. Um, you know the one that <clears throat> France submits uh, because it, it'll certainly win the the Oscar. But you know what? They, you're the, we were allowed to uh, choose any film from any region. If I were calling it on the on the part of who I forget who the distributor is going to be. Actually, there it hasn't been a, a distributor announced yet. But Picture House got it from UK and Ireland, and it really should be pushed as a best picture thing. It really it really should because it's. If they can put um, uh, Parasite 
in there as a best picture. You know, obviously, uh, you know, no one's thinking in terms of borders or different cultures or different languages. Uh, Best picture is best picture. And I I think that this should be pushed for that. Now, will they have the money and the willpower to do it? That's another story. But it should be. Because I, yeah. I know what a home run feels like. No question about well, it. Well, it's a whole new world, bro. <laughs> it's a whole no, words, you, new wait, immediately world. Immediately you're saying that's not going to happen because I like it. And I, I'm and just I, saying that I have been, I've been covering happen. the Oscar race since I started, which was in my early 30s, all the way through my 40s, and now through my 50s. Shocked and horrified to say, I wish it wasn't true. I wish I was still 30. Um, I wish I wasn't growing old. It is what it is. You can't stop time. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. You have to face the truth and face reality with steely mm-hmm. resolve. Mm-hmm. So I think that gives me a nice arc in terms of taste. And I, it is true that when you're younger, you have a different perspective on what matters. And your appreciation for films does deepen as you get older. And you do see them differently than you did when you were young. Um, and that's just the way it is, man. And so... You're saying that soul movies in which people feel any, real any love, movies, not any just for movies. themselves, but for the joy of food and everything. That's, any movies. That's your mom's movie. If and you are gonna... some young, I don't want to argue about this. If you are a young person and you watch a movie like Oppenheimer, are you really going to get the depth of who Oppenheimer was um, in in life? Which you can only get if you read the book, which which he was an incredible person. And you have to kind of have lived life to really understand it and really appreciate it and really get all the nuances of that story. What it meant to be a communist in the 1930s, what it meant to be a communist sympathizer, what it meant to be a scientist, a physicist, someone on the cutting edge, what it meant to be someone who was, you know, uh, explorative Mm -hmm. in love and and sex Mm -hmm. and all that. And he was an amazing human being. Like, people do not exist like that anymore. They just don't. And so how are you going to know that if you're young? You're not. You're going to come at the movie like a young person would. Like, oh, you know, do I like this movie? Is it interesting? But you're never going to have the depth of feeling and the depth of understanding that you would have when you're older because you understand more. You know more about life. You've lived more. You have greater appreciation. So, if I, I, you know, I'm I'm interested in seeing it. I can't wait to see it. But I know that as a person mm-hmm. now in my fifties, I'm going to appreciate a movie like that a lot more than I would have in my twenties <clears> or my thirties. It's just the fact of the matter. You know, it just. Let me is. let me just address one thing about Oppenheimer. There, I don't know, and I have not read a version of the script, and I don't know know how it plays <clears throat> finally, but I do know that I've been told and heard from others, and that's not authoritative, that the Japanese annihilation that happened in Hiroshima and Nagasaki mm. in August of 45, which is the fruit of the whole, you know, uh, Oppenheimer atomic bomb project that happened in New Mexico <clears throat> throughout the war, and uh, the Trinity explosion of July of 45, that's what happened. The you know that's what also what led to his devastating guess you know guilt guilt about having created so much uh, devastation and death and you know I am become death I am the story of worlds and so on so that's what was behind it I just I'm astonished to hear that in this very you know significant movie about a very hugely significant thing that they don't even depict 
what happened in Japan? It's all it's just alluded to verbally or something. I don't again, I don't know this, but this is what I've been told. And I'm astonished that he would blow that off. I mean, it's not a personal it's it, up in Irish should not be a film about a man's crisis of, of, of morality, about his having second thoughts about his own essence and how is he a good man or is he a bad man? It should be about what happened horrifically to God knows how many tens of thousands of Japanese citizens. That should be part of it. You can't like, hundreds of thousands. Hundreds. Okay. Before we get to that, clue. let's let's just finish up on Patafu. Right. So, I'm going to re reevaluate my Patafu uh, because it's directed by uh, uh, by An Hung Tran, who's from Vietnam. Yes, that's correct. He's the so, one who directed the very well respected The Scent of Green Papaya, which was yeah, so a I long think, time ago, the nineties actually, mid nineties. I think that definitely takes this up a notch in terms of whether or not we think it's gonna get in. I think that any old, he's not a white person and therefore yeah. they want okay. All right. Well anything that gets it there, that'll be great. I think that's right. that's gonna it's gonna I think it's a little drive my car ish. Although I didn't get that vibe out of Cannes, but it does it does seem like it could be. And I'm not saying like all Asians. I'm just saying like sometimes there's a movie that people have spiritual connections with. And nowadays, that is never a movie with just white people made by white. It never is. Yeah, because I understand. to feel deeply now. Well, what do you mean drive my car-ish? Can you explain what you mean Well, by remember that? how to the critics it was literally the second coming of Christ? Not to me, it wasn't. It was about parliament cigarettes. Okay, that but are you are the, you denying that deny my car, that drive my car was not the second coming for the critics? Are you denying that reality that we just lived through? Well, I'm denying that I I just didn't feel. I know, but not you, the critics. Okay. Have you ever seen them go <laughs> so nuts for a movie? Parasite, Drive My Car. Those two movies were like. And, you know, I can't think of another, oh, maybe everything, everywhere, all at once. <laughs> yes, they're all Asian. I'm not saying, like, I'm not trying to, to allude to that. I'm just saying that, mm -hmm. I'm not saying that, it, never mind. Like, it sounds so stupid to say. I'm not saying that, like, they're going to go for an Asian movie just because. I'm saying that they, they might consider Patafu because he's a Vietnamese director more than mm -hmm. they would. If he was just some, you know, French white guy, they wouldn't care, probably. Well, you're probably right. But it is, now this could be, are you saying it's a negative because it is about two French white people in no. the late 1800s? That's what it's said in about around 1880s. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that okay. unless it has some identity thing factored yes, in. Yes, I guess that. You're right. Then it's, it's definitely it's just not going to resonate with them. And the reason for that, I think, is that the way people are defined online is they wear a movie or, or a book or anything like, or a political candidate, like a badge, like an identifier. Right. Who am I online? I'm the person mm -hmm. who likes this movie. Right. I'm the person who likes Oppenheimer. That means I'm very conventional. I'm picking the white guy movie, right? If I'm a person who likes say past lives, I'm someone who's, who's interesting and eclectic and I have this other kind of taste, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, or, you know, they identify with the movie, like they mm -hmm. identify with A Star is Born, or they identify with, um, you know, Parasite, or whatever it is. And and it's so extreme to them. Like, remember when Matt Neglia cried because his dad didn't like everything everywhere? Everything all everywhere, yeah, I remember that, yeah. No, so yeah. that tells you that it's, it's on a different level for them than just mm -hmm. a movie, right? Mm -hmm. That there's something connected to who they are when they... 
Okay, well, this is a movie about worship and love. It really, really is that. It's not political. It doesn't, um, um, you know, it, it, it's, nobody gives a, even thinks. It, it's set in the past, but it, you can feel the aliveness of it very strongly all the way through. And you, and you just fall into this. And it's very enrapturing to watch these wonderful dishes being prepared silently, by the way. No music, no, no uh, you know, distractions of any kind. And it, you're, uh, you know, I mean, really, I, you're, a, you're, a, you're a very skilled uh, chef. I'm, I've seen you at work. You know what I'm talking about. It's wonderful. to it's, it's, The eating isn't, isn't the thing. It's, the, it's how it's prepared and, and the care that you put into it. It's a very spiritual. No, I, I'm excited current. about it. Believe me, I can't wait. Of all the movies yeah. coming out, and I should have put that on my best picture preview, and I didn't. So, well, we naturally are are accustomed to you know French language. Why would we put it as a best picture? But when you have Parasite winning, which was in Korean and by a Korean director, why do we have to think like that anymore? Right? No, we don't. It's just it it will need advocacy. It will need people pushing it. And if they do, then then it has a really good shot. And also will depend on whether or not like it's already a very crowded best picture race. Let's just look at the ones that I wrote down and then we can look at your list. I have okay. Oppenheimer, Killers of the Flower Moon, The Killer, The Holdovers. Like right there, those four directors and then Napoleon. And mm-hmm. I, I mean these are like literally my favorite directors. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, me too. Alexander Payne, David Fincher, Martin Scorsese, and Christopher Nolan. Like what? And mm-hmm. then if you add Ridley Scott and Michael Mann in there, like yeah. that's yeah. it. That's for me. That's like the whole thing. I wrote a thing about how those guys are too white, and there's going to be a rebellion amongst the Clayton Davises of the. In a journalist world, anyway, and they're going to be not comfortable with all those white guys making all these allegedly, apparently, possibly excellent films. So they're going to be a very strong effort to bring in women first, first of all, mm. and and certainly people of color if possible. And um, so that, that's that's why I think that past lives, certainly an Asian a woman made that she that's right in there it seems to me yeah um, I, I don't know a first thing actually about emerald fennell's film saltburn i think it's a, a period thing i think I, all i heard was it was a black comedy um well let me Is finish let me finish the whole list because i just fairly sloppily derailed okay. the train okay. so let me just go right. through the whole list for the listeners right. mm-hmm. um oppenheimer christopher nolan Killers of yep. the Flower Moon, Martin Scorsese, The Killer, David Fincher, The Holdovers, Alexander Payne, Napoleon, Ridley Scott, Ferrari, mm-hmm. Michael Mann, Poor Things, Yorgos Lanthimos, The Color Purple, directed by Blitz the Ambassador or Samuel Bazawul, yep. ne- Next Goal Wins, Taika Waititi, Maestro, Bradley Cooper, P- Pain Hustlers, David Yates. I just threw that in because it sounded os- <laughs> Oscar-y to me. I don't know if it... <laughs> And then okay. White Bird, Mark Forster, Leave the World Behind, Sam Esmile, Zone of Why is Can I ask where the Forster came from? I looked at the art for it. You know that David, uh, Mark Forster, a uh, good soul, but he hit it once, once in his life. I know, with, but White uh, Bird is a Holocaust movie, so. 
Um, Zone of Interest, Jonathan Glazer, and Dune Part 2, D- Denis Villeneuve. I didn't put these in any particular order. I probably should have. I understand, yeah. Um, Dune should probably be a little higher, uh, although... Why, do you think? Yeah, I don't it's just, know. It's just Villeneuve and Dune. Who's going to get excited about that? For I basically, the way I, I put this list together is I didn't go around looking at other... I looked at your list, but I didn't look at many other predictions right now. I'm trying to get out of the, the consensus of groupthink. So I just went through the list of movies that are coming out, and I looked at the studio, I looked at the director, I looked at the plot, I looked at the stars, and mm-hmm. I thought, okay, which movies does do these sound like they're going, mm-hmm. are going to be t- being pushed for the Oscars, you know? Mm-hmm. And and then then I I divided it because then I picked three movies by women that there's Barbie, Greta Gerwig, Past yep. Lives, Celine Song, and Saltburn, Emerald, Fennell. There might be more. I just, those are the three that I, I plucked out. Right. Um, okay. All right. So I, you know, the movie that, that Twitter is pushing hard is, is Past Lives. That's the one that, um, that, that they seem to really be in love. Yeah, that's a pretty broad consensus. And that goes all the way back to January, Sundance. And there's no question. Yes, that is a consensus, at least as far as the uh, your progressive Twitter folk. Yes, absolutely. How, how, did you see it yet? I'll tell you what. It opened this weekend, and I thought it would be naturally in my neck because, uh, you know, but it's not. It won't be there until next week. So I'm considering. I don't see why not. It'll be fun. I'm considering going into Manhattan tomorrow and catching it just to not be uh, too late arriving. Oh, wow. It's certainly playing in town, but it's just not playing out here. Big deal, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I haven't heard the, the internet film Twitter talking about any other movie except that. Okay. That's good. So I'm very much looking forward. It looks like a very nice, a mature, kind of a brief encounter type thing. I don't know where, it, you know, obviously it's a love story. Uh, I don't know where it goes or how, you know, I'll obviously see that soon enough. Um, but you know, can I, can I just go over what I regard as the 10 actually likely films to, to be best picture nominated? Yeah, but I, you, I, you I have think to it, go, you have to, t- you have to explain that you're, you're dumping air and what was the other one? Well, I'm, I'm, I'll tell you what I'm dumping is definitely the Yorgos Lanthimos. He doesn't make Oscar films for one thing. What? And another, it, it was, it was bumped out. Of, it didn't show up in Cannes. That tells you something at least. Uh, I just don't believe it. I mean, if it and now if Color Purple because it's a you know people of color musical, you know um, that might be um, an inclusion. I'm not saying it won't be. Uh, but apart from that, I know that I'm supposed to go with identity as a big thing, but you know that Barbie is already being perceived as a film that a lot of people are going to find, uh, so pink it's revolting. I mean, it's, it's supposed to be, I know that it's about breaking out of pink and being, uh, you know, trying to find the real world and not uh, live in that Barbie world. But as you know, as with Wolf of Wall Street, I made this analogy, a lot of people went to see Wolf of Wall Street and loved the Bacchanalian behavior, and they didn't really care what Martin Scorsese and Leo were actually saying, which is these people are beasts, they're monsters. They they loved the fun of it, the the crazy, you know, de- debased fun of Wolf of Wall Street, the cocaine, the hookers, all that. So that's 
I think that Barbie in, on its own level is going to be that kind of thing. I think that a lot of people, women, you know, in particular, the target group are going to love the the the, the, the womenness of it and 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 the girlness of it and the, and the escape of it. And, you know, it's just a thing. I I just don't think it's going to be respected as a film of serious accomplishment. You know, maybe. I don't know, but I'm just saying that's what my instinct is telling me then. Well, I don't, I actually think it's going to not do as well. And that's because of the culture war right now. Um, I think that there's, there's going to be a problem with it. Um, Commercially, it's going to not do well. Oh, that's interesting. Now, why do you I, think I don't that? think it'll do as well as, as it would have if it wasn't a queer, a queer nation movie, which it obviously is. Um, I just, well, because of those uh, character posters where there's obviously trans characters and, and queer characters. Is that what you mean? I can't think of anything about this movie that isn't gay. And, and, and look, okay. that's not a bad thing. That's just, that's what it is. It's, it's going to be like a wet, the West Hollywood of movies. Mm-hmm. And, and look, okay. that's fine. Like a, that, that's film Twitter, right? That's, that's sort of mm-hmm. the whole ethos around the Oscars. Now it's become like the Tonys. It's very gay friendly. Right. And so it'll definitely be considered something more quote unquote important because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and because they have a trans Barbie and they've got, you know, Ken is gay, obviously gay and, and it's mm-hmm. just, it's just going to be gay, 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 gay <laughs> all the way through. The whole thing is just pure gay. Yeah. And, and it's like two Americas, right? Two Americas, which I happen to know both Americas. I, I'm fluent in both Americas. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that right now on the right, mm. there's a huge push to, to, to get this shit out of our culture. I'm sorry. I don't mean shit as in that's what it is. I mean, that's their perspective. That's how they see it. They see it as get it out. <laughs> I can't stand it anymore. It's get the same it thing as what happened with Bud Light. You're saying it's like Bud, Bud Light, Light is, Target. Get rid of that. And that really did have an impact, I think. Seriously. Well, and, and the Disney movies that have had gay themed characters bombed. And so th- there's going to be a push to to call this and brand this movie as way too woke and that the Barbie went woke, like Disney went woke. And, mm-hmm. and so, and then on the left, they're going to be pushing it for that reason. Right. Like mm-hmm. it's going to suddenly become a badge of honor to, to see it and to, to championing champion it like the little mermaid, you know, it's sort of like this thing of like it's activism blended with capitalism now um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which i find really weird personally because i find it like it, they're too easy of a lay the woke like it's just like give us this signaling stuff and you can get away with doing anything you want you can sell us anything you want you can pollute the planet you can have terrible labor laws whatever it is it doesn't matter mm. because as long as you're signaling your virtue with this woke stuff we'll, we'll let you get away with anything Right, it's about anything. Correct. They they are very very willing to go along with pretty much anything. You're right. And and conversely, yeah. on the other side, we have this ESG capitalism, which gives every corporate. There's like every corporation gets an ESG score, which means that, and if they are labeled a toxic company, then advertisers won't advertise with them because they don't want a lower ESG score. So tell me what the ESG stands me, for. Uh, Acronym stands for what? Something economic social governance. So it's basically corporations going woke, right? Mm-hmm. And and what they do is part of it is uh, they say it's for the environment, but it's also identity. It's also LGBTQ. 
QIA, because all they, you know, if an activist complains or something, as the trans community is really good at doing, mm-hmm. they will force them to start enacting their their laws. And unfortunately, we have a government that is supportive of that and is kind of micromanaging, subverting, getting around the First Amendment and the Constitution, using corporations, private companies to do that, like they've done with the social media so let's yeah. take, for example, Matt Walsh's film, What is a Woman?, which the big brouhaha on Twitter last, yesterday was The Daily Wire, which is Ben Shapiro's site that has mm-hmm. Matt Walsh as one of its uh, people. Contributors. Com- yeah. Contributors. Mm-hmm. He made What is a Woman? a year ago. And to celebrate the anniversary of that, he cho- they chose the first day of Pride, which to the gay community would be considered obviously sure. offensive, um, right, right. To, to make a deal with Twitter wherein they signed an IO that said Twitter uh, was going to pay them. They said mid six figures. So what would that be like 400,000, something like that. Okay. To, to air what is a woman on Twitter yesterday. Right. So all of the one time thing or, or a continuing thing. It was just going to be like streamed on the day with commentary and stuff. So everybody could watch it for free. Okay. Cause they're basically like, I'm telling you, they're going to war. Right. Both sides are going to war with each other. So mm. and here we get this this Twitter thing that happened. So all of a sudden, Twitter watches the film, which you've seen. It's not like it's not that big of a deal, that movie. So it's a very sensible film. It's a very uh, but sensible. It, if you say that you're you're regarded as a, as a radically deranged went, person, but it's very sensible. Very he went to to great lengths, I think, to to, to make it so that people couldn't call it hate speech. Like he, he deliberately tried to make it as inoffensive as possible for that reason. Mm-hmm. So Twitter sees it and they say, no, the deal is off. We're not going to show the film. Forget it. We're done. We're, we're not going to show it. They, you know, we don't want the money. We're not going to play the film. And they say, okay, fine. You can air the film on Twitter, but we're going to demonetize it. We're going to, you know, we're not going to allow people to share it. We're going to label it hate speech. And Wait a minute. Elon Musk Twitter said that this is yeah this of- is the big scandal that happened yesterday. So, but I'm the story is not over. Yeah, no, I sh- I usually alert you to these things, but I didn't. Mm. Um, and so it was this big thing on Twitter. Everybody freaked out and and got really mad at Elon Musk for it. Um, mm-hmm. And then by the end of the day, Elon Musk fired the head of his trust and safety yes. um, part of his company. Mm-hmm. Or she resigned, one of the two. Mm-hmm. And he tweeted out the link to the movie himself and said, every parent should watch this. And he said, consenting adults have a right to do whatever they want, but you, you can't, we can't be doing this to kids. To his like 140 million followers. And then they lifted all the warnings on the movie and everything. Mm. Um, you can, you can so it read- wasn't Twitter that was saying no to what is a woman. It was this person in particular who either quit or was fired. Well, yeah, and it's complicated because, as I said, the mm-hmm. ESG <clears throat> capitalist score for Twitter, right? T- yeah. Twitter, because he spent $44 billion to buy Twitter, he's trying to make it profitable. And to make it profitable, he needs advertisers. And the, the activists are really good at um, boycotting, silencing people, not boycotting, but silencing them using their advertisers. Meaning, they took Tucker Carlson off the air because they couldn't keep adverti- They couldn't make any money from companies like big pharma companies 
or other companies that wanted to advertise on Fox because he was on there and they refused because the activists had done such a good job of telling everybody not to advertise on uh, Fox because of Tucker Carlson's show. And so on Twitter, if the site gets labeled a hate site and they say that it's unsafe and they're, they're hateful towards trans community, they'll have a very low ESG score and then advertisers won't advertise site uh, companies like Apple, for instance, big companies. Um, it doesn't, it hardly feels like America. Like it feels like China to me when you look at it that way, like yeah. really you're going to go all that way to suppress speech. Like what? And so how is that different from the Bud Light controversy and target? Well, that's different because in those instances, consumers are boycotting a product mm-hmm. that they don't agree with them advertising with Dylan Mulvaney or whatever. That's mm-hmm. different from what these guys are doing, which is silencing voices using their connections with advertising. There's a difference between censoring speech and, and a boycott and a boycott. You know, anybody's anybody was within their rights to boycott Twitter. <clears throat> but they're not really, in my opinion, in their rights to constantly be fighting to shut down this very important conversation about trans. Uh, gender affirming care for for minors um and uh you know i think about like the movie the insider remember the insider how jeffrey wygand was forbidden from being talk you know blowing the whistle on the tobacco companies for saying they knew cigarettes were addictive and they knew they caused cancer so Mm -hmm. 60 minutes tells him he can't say that because corporate is this is the exact same thing as that and 60 Minutes silenced Jeffrey Wigand. And so the, the producer just went ahead and spilled the beans to the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times and embarrassed 60 Minutes. And what's amazing about that movie is you get to that point where Russell Crowe in the state of Mississippi gets to say his deposition. Mm-hmm. And all he says is the truth. Yeah. You know, stop running right. from the, the the truth is the truth. And if, mm-hmm. if you have to silence it, then there's something wrong with your side of the argument. Yeah, well, that that uh, his testimony in uh, in Mississippi, I believe it was Mississippi, was a way of uh, getting CBS. They were afraid it was called tortious interference. And they felt that they would be liable to, to a counter lawsuit by Big Tobacco if they had broken that. Uh, story using um, Jeffrey Wigand's uh, uh, testimony, and so that was what that was. It was a, it was a, a maneuver to get them out of it because they can't. Once it's in the public record via a a hearing like they had in Mississippi, that means CBS is not being the one breaking the story, so to speak. So mm. that was what the idea. Is. Yeah. So I mm. I you know I I think that this to me is along the lines mm. of Galileo. You know, who who mm-hmm. got, got into trouble for saying that the earth uh, revolves around the sun. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when you're censoring scientists uh, and biologists to, mm-hmm. to, to perpetuate your ideology, then you're always going to be on the wrong side of history. Of course. So anyway, I don't know how we got on this topic, but... Because you brought up what is a woman and... Oh, and I was Matt explaining <laughs> ES, ESG capitalism. Yeah. And I don't know why we got on to ESG. Capital. Anyway, so let me go into my 10. Uh, All you right. say you want some justifications, so I'll just start at the top. I have 10, 10. And that is Oppenheimer because for the obvious reasons, because it has resonance. And But I'll tell you, wait, you know, the last time that the general public 
really felt the presence in a chilling and very unnerving way of nuclear weapons was way back in October of 62 during the Cuban Missile Crisis. There has not been a major event or a vibe or an announcement or something that has activated fear amongst the general populace, world populace, American populace, about nuclear weapons. So I, I know it's a very significant thing in terms of what could happen someday. And I know that North Korea has been <clears throat> ignoring uh, nuclear treaties, particularly the one that was uh, took effect in the mid-90s. But it's still not, in most people's mind, a very scary, pressing you know, something that really gets to the to the heart of, of what it is to be alive in the in the mm. 21st century. So I, I think it's a fascinating document, and you know that it's going to be very compellingly assembled. But I'm not sure that people are going to find it riveting in the sense that they just don't recognize that nuclear weapons, which they have not been a thing, a real thing, it's a scary thing, for you know since '62, and that was how many how many was it? 70 years. I mean, that's just the way it is. Now, killers of the flower moon, no question. Well, wait a second, wait a second. I I think that's true, except for one thing that you're forgetting. The Mm -hmm. war in Ukraine. Um, Uh, That has brought nuclear weapons back to the forefront as people are worried that there is going to be an actual nuclear war. We don't have to get into all that politics of it, but just that, you know, Putin has threatened to use nukes. And so... It's okay. important for people to understand what that means. So if mm. what you're saying is true and they don't think it's scary and they're not thinking about it, well, you just have to watch that video I sent you to see that there okay. were over 2,000 nuclear tests. And those bombs, I mean, they, they, the radiation damage, the fallout, you're mm-hmm. right that it's not a conversation we have anymore, but it should be. So maybe this movie will bring it back, I don't know. But the, uh, as to your original point that He's mm-hmm. not showing the <sighs> the Japanese devastation, the, the the slaughter of hundreds of thousands of people. It seems to me that to ignore that is like astonishing. In a film about Oppenheimer, to not show that, not not be part of the narrative. Come well, on. he he wasn't. He didn't witness those bombings. He was in the other side. So, so he only I mean, they, witnessed the whole thing the, that he feels after it's over is that what have I done? You know, and 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 did not show that. It well, has, to, has to be depicted in some way. I mean, it's just... I don't know how they're going to depict it, but I, I would think that he can't win in that because if you show it, it's going to be like that Detroit situation. People are going to be very offended, especially Japanese people, that they would be making a movie about this and showing it. And I mean, it's... They're not making a movie about the Japanese devastation. It's about the creation of the device that uh, led to it. And about the, the genius who you know was the leading the leading the team that put put it together. He's a man with a of the Jewish uh, Jewish history, and who was a, looking to defeat Nazism and Axis powers. So it was. Um, yeah. we could get into a whole thing about that. But basically, the whole it just it just seems it's well. I think terrible. I think you're you're placing judgment on it without having seen it. I don't think. No, that's of course, right. see, that's why I'm saying I don't know. You know, but I've yeah. been hearing, and I don't want to say it's anything more than speculation or hearing or secondhand or whatever, but that it, that it doesn't go there. It doesn't go to Japan. So, you know, I mean, the man was, was destroyed. He felt like he had really done something horrific. 
Oh, I know. I'm writing the book right now. I'm, yeah. I have t- 10 hours left. Right. <laughs> it's like a 37-hour book or something. You were um, listening to it on the drive back from yeah, your latest and big I, drive? I have mm-hmm. to say it's one of the most interesting, engaging books that I've ever I've ever read, partly because he's just such a fascinating guy. Mm-hmm. Everything about him, you just you just want to dive into his life and get to know him. And, and I wish mm-hmm. that I could have met him. He's right. so cool, and I happened to be doing a Google search because he um, mm-hmm. he just was all over the world, lived all over the world, very sophisticated, very intelligent, very well read. You know, loved poetry, loved art. You know, he's just mm-hmm. he was very you know fashionable, and 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 he used to give away all of his belongings. So there's this great story of him meeting this woman on a train platform, mm-hmm. and she's she she's standing around looking at all the luggage, and she sees this pair of suitcases that stands out mm-hmm. from the rest and she's like wow whose are those and then he goes oh those are of course oppenheimer's <laughs> like uh-huh. he was just a man of a certain taste he was mm-hmm. and so he went to new mexico uh when he was young and he stayed in the mountains and he fell in love with the mountains and he got mm-hmm. this little cabin called pedo caliente because when he saw it he said hot dog mm-hmm. so they called it that this little tiny cabin in the mountains and he would go there all the time. He would ride horses. He would camp. He would just live this wild life. Mm-hmm. And I was searching online for that. Uh, I was like, "What, Pero Caliente? I want to see what that looks like. And I happened to find a Flickr site that was run by his grandson, Charlie Oppenheimer, who mm-hmm. looks exactly like him. <laughs> I was like, wow. Uh, so that was, a, that was a neat find. I mean, I think I'm probably like... Like maybe one of maybe twenty people on the planet who are that interested in in Oppenheimer, <laughs> but mm. uh, so you just admitted that there's not a great common feeling no. out there for this man or what or the tragedy he went through. No, but there any- should be. There should be. I mean, he is as interesting as I, Einstein or uh, Stephen Hawking or Darwin mm. or I mean, he should be in the pantheon. Sure, um, as fascinating as he is, and. I don't think anybody's going to read that book, and and I can only hope that Christopher Nolan captures even a little bit of what he actually was, you know. Because mm-hmm. I think people right. look at it now and they see something they think is going to be very dry. Um, well, it certainly is going to be dr- a little bit dry if they don't show the Japanese horror. You know, I, I'm just astonished that if that happens. But uh, but the uh, you know you know uh, Emily Blunt said, oh, it's 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 not just a vital film, it's not just an amazing film, but it's a suspense film. And I said, what what could she possibly be talking about? Uh, because because they were wondering, are the Germans going to come up with? an a-bomb first you know we have to be the ones that set the table and we can't let them threaten us oh my god it's incredibly suspenseful are you kidding i was riveted during that whole section of the countdown to get it to building the bomb who's going to get it first um and does it does the book say exactly uh what stage of of you know progression the germans were i mean how close were they to having a device first the first important thing you have to remember is that you know, the fog of war, you have to take yourself back to a time when they were Americans, people worldwide were living through something that nobody could like Hitler. Come on. Like who that's like the Manson family. Like who could have ever dreamed up such a scenario that this would be what you were fighting. And, um, and, and, you know, Oppenheimer didn't blink when the war ended and they said, we're going to drop it on the Japanese. He didn't blink because at that time, 
the Japanese had attacked us and they, you know, we didn't attack them. They attacked us. Mm-hmm. So the war was really, they wanted to end it. They wanted to end the war. As you said, your dad probably, you probably wouldn't be here if they hadn't dropped that bomb. Probably. Because your dad was a Marine. I don't Marine. know, but, you know, very high likelihood. Who knows? Yeah, your dad was a Marine, so he would have continued mm. to be fighting over there. And Now, that's mm. an age thing. Like, when you're older, like me, you're into World War II. You know, is my daughter as into World War II and, and all this as I am? Mm-hmm. No, not a chance. Right. But maybe in 20 years she will be. I don't know. Um, I'm fascinated by it, personally. Because the more okay. you start to know about human nature and the more you start to look at history... And live through history, the more you're mm. fascinated by these times in history where this nuttiness mm. occurred. But it's very suspenseful because, remember, there's a lot of stuff going on in his life, too. For instance, his, his ex-lover, Jean uh, Tatlock, who's this amazing mm-hmm. woman that was apparently very beautiful and did things to him like he showed up at her door with a bouquet of gardenias and she took him out and she threw him on the ground. She said, I told you never to... Never to bring me flowers, you know, <laughs> because it's about Oppenheimer. It's not about Hiroshima and Nagasaki. He didn't it's drop. It's about Oppenheimer. That's what we're supposed to be. Uh, Oppenheimer didn't by? drop a man's the bomb. Guilt, guilt trip because he did something that was very specifically horrible in and of yeah, itself. Yeah, because if you though- know him, you understand what a big deal it was for this person to have invented the thing that he then spent his rest of his life mm-hmm. trying to end nuclear. Development. I think I find that completely self-canceling. A movie about the, the creator, the genius behind the creation of the atom bomb, which ended the war and saved God knows how many American lives because there was no invasion in Japan. That's a very significant thing. But And to have it be mainly about the man's psychological, I think if you want to make a movie of, about of world, if you want to make a movie about World War II, and you want to make a movie about the Jap- Japanese attacking, and you want to show Hiroshima and Nagasaki, then you should do that. But I think if you're making a movie about Oppenheimer, you don't necessarily have to show that part of it. Um, anyway, so let's move on. I don't want to keep arguing about this. Sometimes you just you grab onto something and you don't let it go, and it's so frustrating because my mind cannot possibly see things from. But your you just said it would be bad taste or you know upsetting to show this. I mean, well, in a in a in a three hour movie that's about something else, yes. Is it three hours? It's three hours. Yeah, it's three hours. Three full hours. Okay. Okay, so that's why my next thing I want to say is that between this and Killers of the Flower Moon, these are two movies that bookend the FBI, right? So the Killers of the Flower Moon is about J. Edgar Hoover's very first case that helped build the FBI. But he's never, he's not in the film at all. Oh, he's not? And he's alluded to. But Jesse Plemons, who is the representative of Mr. Hoover and the nascent agency that the FBI was, he appears only in the last maybe 70 minutes, something like that. Um, Once he comes, that's when the movie kicks in and then you start to to get involved again because the bad guys, principally Robert De Niro's character and Leo DiCaprio's conflicted bad guy, Ernest Burkhart are, you know that their days are numbered and they're going to get popped for this. But until Jesse Plemons arrives in the, you know, with the FBI team, it's, it's a very well put together, uh, you know, Scorsese is such a superb filmmaker. He really, you know, knows how to just stitch it all together just so and make you feel of, but it's, uh, it's not a great film. It's a, it's a good one. There's no question. It's a good film. And I would be very keen to see it again, but 
But I, I can tell you it was not lifting off the ground for me and for others. I mean, people are trained to be very appreciative and in no way dismissive of a acknowledged master filmmaker, which is Martin Scorsese. But if you can only come from that place, like it's, if it's Scorsese's film, it has to be wonderful. It has to be magnificent. It has to be praised to the heavens. Okay, you can do that, you know, but when people see it, they're going to go, okay, you know, good film, very good film, obviously. Um, Really appreciates the the craft and the, you know, Leo performance and Lily Gladstone, the first Native American actress to almost certainly be nominated for maybe Best Actress, maybe Best Supporting, who knows. But it's, you know, it's going to happen. But it's not a great film. It's a very good film. Very satisfying. Very well made. And I loved I loved all the aspects of it, the Robbie Robertson music, and it's it's really it's really good. I'm, I was said this is good stuff, but it never really takes off. It really doesn't. It it it, it develops and becomes something a little more interesting towards the end when you know that the, the justice has arrived and that the, you know the bad guys are going to pay the price. But it's. Uh, it never quite gets there. It never quite launches, uh, you know, like a rocket ship off a launch pad. You just keep keep waiting for that ignition thing, and it doesn't really happen. Mm-hmm. However, it does really hold you. It's it's a very well made film. Well, anyway, that's not a that's not a pan. I'm trying to make it clear. It's not it's not a put down, not a pan. But it's not this great thing that you're going to be rocked to your soul by. You know, it's just not so. Well, okay, that's fine. But I'm just saying, like, mm. my only point is these are two three-hour movies, both featuring the FBI. So that's all I wanted to say. I think it's interesting that you see the... Yeah, people. but he's not featuring the FBI that much. He just sort of comes in at the end. So that's not really, like, featuring the FBI. It's like, you know... Well, the FBI is a big part of that story, so I'm surprised it's not in there. Well, if you've read the story, you know all about it. But it's, I'll tell you, there's no J. Edgar Hoover at all, and it's just Jesse Plemons and some other guys... And they are kind of like the, uh, you know, what's the what's the TV series analogy? It's like the Mission Impossible team. They're a team of guys doing the right thing, and you feel well. Finally, okay, justice is is finally taking shape, and it's and it's a satisfying. So, thing. what's the first part? Just all the murders, or what? Yeah, yeah, all the murders and all the all the opportunity and all the money around and all the resentments that the natives feel about the. Uh, about the Native Americans who have like richer than Croesus, and it's uh, you know it's, it's it's absorbing. You're never bored. Well, it's so you have book. you have two sort of flip bookend flip sides where one movie doesn't talk at all about Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and one movie only talks about the other side of it, the the Native American side. So that's kind of interesting, isn't it? That one yeah. chose to focus more on the on the you know the the and that's what I think is going to be Oppenheimer's big problem, by the way. I think that it isn't just about from a cinematic level of not showing mm. that. I think, that, But I do think he's damned either way. I think if he showed it, they would say he's exploiting the mm-hmm. lives of the dead Japanese. But if he doesn't show it, then they're going to say that he's ignoring the lo- dead <clears throat> Japanese. So It goes without saying, incidentally, that the Killers of the Flower Moon, which is made under the a very strong influence of the native tribes uh, of, right. uh, of Oklahoma. Exactly. So it's not in any way, not in the slightest way, 
uh, look gives uh, the Native American tribes the the, the Osage any kind of side eye at all. I mean, it doesn't yeah. even ask what they think about their wealth and like who's handling it well. And is this a good thing or a bad thing? Are we hanging on to our tradition? It's all part of it, but it's, it, it never, you know, it's just, they, they've been, they don't have the freedom to be um, irreverent. Well, yeah, they, history. and, and it was an expensive movie and they, you know, they want, they didn't want to offend anybody. They didn't want any cancel culture thing to, to explode. Right. Um, but I, I can see how, I don't know, we'll have to just wait it out. Okay, so read me the rest of your, your 10. Well, definitely the holdovers. And remember that Alexander Payne's film was shown at last September's um, Toronto Film Festival to buyers. And the reaction was borderline euphoric. And uh, I was so excited about what I had been told. It also screened privately. Uh, maybe it was a research screening, come to think of it. It was screened in Santa Monica prior to the Toronto showing to buyers. And it was no question that this is this is Alexander Payne back in that groove that we all like him to be in, something that's eloquent and, and, and well acted, Paul Giamatti returning. So mm-hmm. it sounds like a really good package. So I, I hope it, it is. I really do. I, I'm so worried that he's gonna he's gonna be, you know, uh sort of defensive of the accusations against remember he got into all that hot water i just feel like once that happens to an artist they feel reflexively defensive of themselves and then well, maybe but he didn't it never came to anything no but i i know but it does affect their work often because <clears throat> they just don't want to hear okay. it from people mm. but i love alexander payne movies yeah me too wonderful I he can be, when he's on his game um and I, it sounds like he is on his game. So let's, you know, fingers crossed. The next one for me is definitely Napoleon, which is, uh, uh, you know, Ridley Scott can be, uh, he can be at, at sort of what, um, not in, in a great mode, but in a very good mode. He's always efficient. It's always a sweeping thing. The, the thing about Napoleon that will make it or break it is, of course, what is the take on the guy? And are there any you know, parallels to current concerns. You know, I don't know what, what the focus is other than it's going to be a beautiful, sumptuous, you know, um, um, epic treatment of, of a fascinating character. So how can that not be, you know, just I have to pageant re- level alone? So. I have to research that. I don't really know a lot about that story, Napoleon's story at all, believe it or not. I know I'm a history buff, but I've never really gone into that, so I don't even really know what war he was fighting. <laughs> yeah, um, he Stupid was uh, a world class. Co- oh, Jesus! Let me get. Let me just turn this off. I'm sorry. He was a world class uh, dominant uh, figure who wanted to basically uh, rule a good portion of the civilized world, and he came very close to doing it. And he was obstinate. And um, but what era is this? The seventeen hundreds? Yeah, his his time is it was basically the you know when a young man in the seventeen eighties nineties and he peaked uh, the late seventeen hundreds and he was deposed and sent off to the island of Elba I think sometime in the vicinity of eighteen thirteen eighteen fourteen. And then he tried to have a, a big rebellion again and then he was sent to. Um, another island in the uh, St. Helena, I think it was called. And uh, he died uh, sometime around 1820 or something. Mm. Anyway. 
But yeah, uh, I'll have to look into it and and see what revolution or whatever he was. It's not the French Revolution. It, it, right? No, not the French Revolution. He was came in at the end of the French Revolution, which was early 1790s. But he was mm-hmm. part of the the you know the army, and he was quite the uh, you know quite the uh, fascinating uh, uh, large personality with all kinds. You know, right. Alexander all, the Great. All, you know, all people one of those. really know about him but, is that he was short and he had a, a lover. <laughs> Like Josephine, yeah, uh, I, I understand that that's part of the thing, or perhaps even the thing about this film—the the romantic um, attachment to Josephine. Uh, you've never seen the Abalgans uh, uh, version, the silent version, right? Mm-mm. I take it. Okay. Who's Jos- well, anyway? That's something you can. Who plant plays at uh, Josephine in that? Good question. <laughs> I don't even know. I, uh, it was going to be at one point. Um, uh, the woman who was in uh, the the last Ridley Scott film uh, about the the Rashomon level film about yeah. about rape mm-hmm. with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, Jodie Comer. That's who I'm trying to think of exactly, Jodie Comer. Yeah. And then they lost her for some reason. Yeah, and I think she, she had a falling out with him with Ridley Scott, sort of. That thing. I didn't know. I, it was that was it. I didn't I know. I think so. Yeah, I think I think during that movie somehow I remember hearing about that. Okay. But who knows? All right. Okay, now the other thing uh, that I have here is definitely Ferrari because it seems to be uh, undeniable in terms of uh, uh, Michael Mann. But I, I would again ask uh, because it's uh, it's going to be a great gearhead movie and you're going to be very immersed in the whole world in the same way that Steve McQueen's uh, Le Mans was a very immersive film in that in that world. And and what was the thing with? Uh, with Matt Damon and you know the, um, you know the, uh, that uh, Mangold directed. Do you remember? Um, Why am I blanking on something as recent as this? This is embarrassing. No, I, I'm sorry. I don't know either. That's even more embarrassing. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, Vanessa Kirby is the woman that plays. Okay. Josephine right. and uh, Jodie Comer. Um, it's. Yes. I'm trying to see what. Uh, what happened? Why she she jumped out? Um, she says scheduling changes caused by the COVID nineteen pandemic. Yeah. Uh, Vanessa Kirby was announced as her replacement. Okay. So, um, anyway, uh, the the mangled thing that I'm trying to think of that finally came back to me is called Ford versus. Ferrari. Oh, of course, one of my favorite movies that year. Matt Damon was in that. Yes, he was. <laughs> he was. Uh, <laughs> I remember Christian's Chris. Um, I remember Christian Bale. Yeah, he was the brilliant guy that uh, Matt Damon's Carol Shelby. You know, famous. Oh for the right, of course. Mustang. Now it's all coming back. Yeah. To it. God. Christian Bale was the Christian. I'll tell you, I saw that at Telluride, and I was, uh, you know, pretty pretty impressed. I wasn't knocked out though. Oh, I, I loved it for some reason. You loved it, okay. I don't know Fine. why, but I did. Um, no, I think the second, um, I think the, and perhaps even the most interesting and most possibly most compelling film is going to be Bradley Cooper's film because it's got the, the wonderful soar and the spiritual uplift of great music and great passion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's uh, Maestro, you know, about Leonard Bernstein. I think it's going to be a, you know, uh, a mom and pop movie. It's going to be people that have uh, any. Uh, interest in the life of a, of a of a gay man who was you know basically with kids and house in Connecticut 
and and boyfriends and the whole thing. It just sounds like a really fascinating mix when you add in the the magnificent music and and so I I'm really keyed into that. That that has me going as much as Oppenheimer or Napoleon or even maybe even the holdovers. So I think the, that's one of the really big ones for me. Um, dropping down to the most recent film that I've seen, um, two, well, Zone of Interest, I should say, which is the Jonathan Glazer film that has <clears throat> really got the, the can crowd going because it's a very chilling, unsettling, uh, almost kind of a quiet horror film about a military family living right outside the gates of Auschwitz. And he is the commandant of Auschwitz. And they don't ever show you anything in a Schindler's List way. Nothing blatant, nothing is depicted, but you can feel and hear the murder and the horror oh. going on inside the walls of that prison camp. Mm. And that's the that's the, the trick of this film. It's the idea is not never put it in front of you on a plate, but to let you sense this this absolutely horrific, you know, stuff going on just outside of our vision. So it's but it's but it has to be said, it's a very chilly and cold film, um, very dry. And, it you know, again, it doesn't hit you over the head with anything, but you're just supposed to feel it. And you have to either sense it or you don't. Uh, Manola Dargas, just to be accommodating to her point of view, did say that, you know, like everybody's that has seen it said the same thing. It's about the banality of evil. You know, that, that, you know, people who are evil doing something evil, they all have children, they have dinners, they have cleaning, they have, you know, they, they, they have a normal life, if you will, but all this horror is going on right beneath them. And, and banality of evil is something we all understand, but it's not dramatically compelling enough, not for me anyway. I, uh, there's no missing that it's a very, uh, it's making its moral point and then some. You definitely feel it. It's like it gets into your system. It's almost like some kind of cold in your lungs. It doesn't feel good to watch this film, but you, it is definitely onto something, and there's no not respecting it. Um, what was her, what was Manola Dargis's thing about it? She wrote a piece in Durin Can in which she said that the, what it does is, is that it, it, you're, if you're at all familiar with the phrase banality of evil, this is what this yeah, movie Hannah, is saying. That's Hannah Arndt. Huh? Hannah Arndt is who wrote that banality. She's the one who coined that phrase. That's right. Mm. Yes. Yeah. But she says it keeps hitting you, banality of evil, banality of evil. And then you start wondering, so what is it bringing to the table? being a major film by a major filmmaker, Jonathan right, Glazer, right. what is it saying other than banality of evil? And in right. her view was not much else, although it is very, you know, effective and certainly chilling in its own manner, but she didn't think it was a knockout. That, that's just Manola, you know? So <clears throat> then moving past that, we already talked about past lives, which I am probably going to see this weekend. And that is supposed to be a very compelling, as you say, the, the wokesters love this because it's, you know, Asian cast and supposedly very mature and very delicate, very graceful and moving. And, you know, I can't wait to see it. Celine Song is the uh, writer director. And it's, it's her debut. And it's her debut. She's presumably, that means she's fairly young. I, I don't even know, but I'm guessing she's, you know, late 20s or something like that. I don't know. 
And then, as I said to you earlier, I believe that, uh, that the Pas de Fieu, which is the biggest, most uh, impacting uh, film that I saw at Cannes, one that got me emotionally, really, really moved me deep inside and got me really, I, I was moved. I was kind of buckled over inside by how beautiful it felt to me. I think that's going to be if, and I say this is a huge if, if the people behind this film decide to try and mount a campaign to say, listen, if you can go with Parasite as best picture, why can't you go with this French language film? And of course, that would be, you know, uh, partly because uh, they they would uh, want to coordinate or understand what's the intentions on the part of France is. Will they put this forward as their... That, then again, that wouldn't stop a campaign like this, because when you think about it, uh, wasn't Parasite uh, a best foreign language uh, uh, contender from South Korea? Yeah, but Parasite, remember, was social class oriented. It was a commentary on society. It mm-hmm. was hard hitting. Un- the unfairness of things. Yes. Yeah, it, th- that's different from what I think you're talking about here. Yeah, but it's not just like, ooh, that looks so good. I want to go home and eat that or order at a restaurant. It's really in a much deeper realm than just, wow, that looks fantastic. I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting really, my mouth is watering watching this film. It's on a deeper level than that. And so I, I, I can't re- reiterate that enough. Uh, most of the reviews made it sound like one person, I was so furious when I read this, one person actually said, your mom is going to love this film. I said, I said, you fucking asshole. <laughs> Come on, that's funny. <laughs> uh, that's funny. I'm sorry, but it yeah. is. <laughs> well, that's what they said. It's it was funny. some British critic or something, you know. And, and it's, it just makes it sound banal. If your mom's going to like it, it means that it doesn't have any teeth. It doesn't have any <laughs> real, real passion. It's kind of, oh, that's very pleasant. Oh, I love the food. Oh, oh listen, that, if, there, if there ever was a movie made for the Telluride crowd, that's it, right? That, that, they're going to love that. They're going to love it. I'm that's telling so you, they're going to love it to death. That's so and their thing. Um, yeah, I just yeah. think that there, if there isn't some sort of thing about it that they can... Although the director, maybe, you know, the director of Vietnam, Vietnamese. Yeah, as you say, if it's it may, directed and written by a, uh, an Asian director, that gives it a leg up and it puts it in, you know, because of the people who are looking to identity to be the key factor in, in terms of whether a film is best picture worthy. That make, gives it, that, that, that's extra credit. Agreed, agreed, if it had been made by... Uh, a French white guy or something, yes, they, then it would be a different thing. So Celine so. Song, I'm looking at her Wikipedia. This is her first movie. Yeah. Uh, she's been a stage director. She She's from South Korea. She went to Columbia University, got an MFA in playwriting. Um, it says her film has been compared to those of Richard Linklater, Woody Allen, and Noah Baumbach. Mm-hmm. So uh, but, but what I find curious about it is that the critics give it a 98 or something. And then the, the audience gives it an 88. Like I, I thought that was suspicious because it's still really, you know, sophisticated people seeing it that are reviewing. It only has, you're saying that the Sundance audience gave it an 88. I gave it a, or you're talking about rotten tomatoes or what yeah, do you mean? Rotten tomatoes. The audience okay. score is 88. And so compared like, so I don't understand like that's not bad, but it's a little bit, not what I expected. Mm hmm. I expected it to be higher than that. It's 97 on Rotten Tomatoes for critics, 
Oh, I see. The eighty, the eighty-eight just ticked up to eighty-nine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> it's right. fewer than fifty mm-hmm. ratings. Did so, we talk about uh, the the other two uh, films that women have directed, Barbie and Saltburn, on this? Or I can't remember. It's been a while. This has been going on for some time. Did we did we talk about them briefly? I know we did. Go I don't think or I think Barbie's going to get it because I don't, I don't think it's going to be uh, as you say it's going to be uh, the West Hollywood of movies. It's not going to go with the with your mainstream crowds and maybe it's not going to do as well. Although it probably do pretty well. I want to see it, don't you? Just to see it. Um, yeah, I guess I I don't really want to because so I mean mm-hmm. I will I'll force myself, but. There's there's this kind of attitude that the the quote unquote woke have, especially mm-hmm. in the LGBTQIA community, which is this kind of glassy eyed euphoria. It's like everything mm-hmm. is bubbles and rainbows, and everybody's really happy. And aren't we so happy? <laughs> yeah, we're so happy. It's so great. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. I don't yeah. get that. Like I'm always suspicious of that level of euphoria constantly in everything. Mm-hmm. So that's okay. the thing about it that I look at and I go, oh, I'm just too exhausted to even go there. But um, Saltburn, the premise is a college student, Barry Keegan, becomes obsessed over a rich classmate, Jacob Elordi, who is from an aristocratic family. It is said to be inspired by the film The Talented Mr. Ripley. So there well, you go. I don't think so. I don't think so. Because Jay, uh, Ke- Barry Keegan... He's a weird-looking guy with, with who's a uh, character actor, and he's got this big bee, bee stung bulbous nose and oh, little tiny eyes. I don't think it's. I don't think so. I don't think he's charismatic enough to be a to be a. The, he's the lead, right? He's the guy. He's yeah. No, he plays Matt the Damon. Matt Damon character, not the Jude Law yeah. character. Yeah, I understand. Jacob Elordi is the is the Jude Law character, but I don't know. You know, and he's pretty handsome. I think it sounds great. I hope it's. I hope it's not political i hope it's just a really good movie but i doubt it It'll, everything's political now so guys who look like barry keegan don't get to be you know they don't get to be in the elite level he's, well things. that's the whole point of the story jeff is that when people like that are on the outside that's what that movie that's what talented mr Ripley well but but matt damon was in the outside outside also and he was basically a pretender and a sociopath but he looked the part he could make it and you could see how this guy could be part of that swirl of wealthy young people living in rome and capri and whatnot you know no, i, I don't it. i don't yeah. think so i thought he was always the the, the the tragedy of that character is he was just always going to be on the outside uh, but he had the whole patter down. He had the look down. He looked preppy. No, people laughed at him. He was laughed at. Behind his back, yes. He didn't well, realize, but he was, at least you could imagine him pretending his way into that realm, maybe, you know. Yeah, that's no, what I, I believe. I, again, anyway. I think this is one of those weird things that you fixate on. I, I don't I don't think that that's true about Barry Keegan. I think he's he was playing that kind of character, but in real life, he's a pretty good looking guy. No, he's not. Yeah, he is. No, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I know I'm what good looking is. I'm not, I'm not just saying this to be an asshole. He is not anybody's idea of a conventionally good looking guy. He's not. <laughs> well, I happen to disagree with neither is Oppenheimer. He's a very good looking guy. Well, I see what you're saying. I mean, but I think he's an actor who can make himself look good or make himself look weird. I nope. think that's what he is. He doesn't have it. He doesn't have it. And I, and I, and I say ixnay the salt burn based upon Barry Keegan right then and there. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I didn't cast him. It's not my idea, you know. 
I know, so, but he's supposed to play the guy on the outside. Okay. Too outside because of how he looks. I'm sorry, he doesn't have that that air. That well, air look at look at Prince Prince Charles. Injury. Prince Charles, look at what he looks like. He looks like right. a upper class twit, Prince Charles. Prince Charles. You is, mean King Charles? You're talking about whatever King mm-hmm. Charles. He'll always be okay, Prince Charles. But um, mm-hmm. but I'm just saying, like, it's not exactly a handsome looking dude, King Charles. Well, he's passable in no, that realm. No, he's not. You know? He looks like Alfred E. Newman. He's not. <laughs> and he's never been. That's actually kind of true. <laughs> he's never been considered good-looking. It's, it's only because of Diana's genes That's that funny. they get a break. Mm. If they only had okay. his, if it was him and Camilla, can you imagine the offspring mm. of them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can imagine. So yeah. I don't think that that has anything to do. I just, I, you know, I'll see. I, he's a good enough actor. I think it, you know, he'll pass. I, I, you know, I, mm-hmm. I'm curious about it. I hope it's good. Right. Um, I do. Okay. So are those all the, all the movies that you have? Those are the ones I just named off actually nine. I do not believe, as I've told you, and you get mad at me at this, because I don't <laughs> believe that a genre film called The Killer by David Fincher. It could be a magnificent film for my taste and yours. Yeah, and, and that's all. I, I, that's what the Oscars... Uh, Fincher more are. than myself, but I don't think no. it's the best picture well, contender, given it's, you know, it's about a guy who feels guilty and badly about... Look, about, they, there is a certain reverence for him, but especially when he's back in his wheelhouse of the Sure. Guy. And, they, you know, they like gangster movies if Marty makes them... You know, mm-hmm. like they, they, there is, there is, believe it or not, shockingly, still mm-hmm. a part of the academy that still values actual great filmmaking. Um, and I'm not saying it's going to win. I'm saying that with ten nominations, there's zero chance. I mean, unless look, I know of David Fincher's work. He doesn't mm-hmm. make terrible movies, so it's going to be good enough. It's going to be one of the best of the year. I already know that. Can I say something that you told me about uh, about uh, uh, Mank, which is that you were before I had seen it, before it gotten around, you were telling me that Mank really knows what it's doing, and it's really the the cat's meow, and it really is, uh, you know, it's really a, you know, it's going to ring the bell. And uh, I didn't, I didn't, it, it didn't say work, it was going to you know? win the, and I disagree. I do think it worked. I think it's a genius, incredible masterpiece. I didn't like Barry. Uh, I didn't like. Um, Gary Oldman. You know, Gary Oldman. I really didn't like hanging out with that guy with his double chin and his pot belly and everything. He wasn't my idea of a guy I, I related to. I loved his wit and his brain and where and what. Well, what that's a, why it, it would genius. never have won Best Picture. Movies like that win Best Picture are movies like Coda. I mean, you know, it's like you have to dumb that shit way down if you want to win. And David Fincher's never going to do that. So it's it's not for everybody, Mank, but it was definitely for me. I loved it. But I watched it like 20 times or something. So <laughs> Did you? I knew it a lot better than most people do. Yeah, of course. I always watch his movies a bunch of times because they're puzzles. You know, they're, they're puzzles and they take a while to figure out. He does things very intricately and he, he, edited, he edits it very cleanly and takes a lot of time painstakingly editing it. And so if you try to, you know, he doesn't make movies that are just like, you know, Coda where anybody can watch it and they're going to love it. That's just not what he does. So I'm really, and he's been working on this movie for months. I haven't seen it. I haven't heard anything about it. Wasn't it shooting during the pandemic? Didn't they shoot a long time ago? I think so. But I mean, people thought it was going to come out last year. So it's already been, so that tells Mm -hmm. me that he's really working carefully on it. 
And I and know no, for and no a can, fact, interestingly. Nothing. I would have felt that would be a nice way to have a big debut. You know, can would have been nice, but they didn't. Yeah, I don't blame them for that because can it's a make or break kind of situation. If you put it out there early and it's mm-hmm. it, it bombs, then you're you know you have to make up all that. I think it's going to go to my my. Uh, I would imagine it goes to New York because they have that relationship. So it doesn't go to Telluride or Venice. He's a okay. every movie social network like they all tend to go to New York, which I find to be bothersome because I don't really like that crowd. I think they're too snooty. Me too. Um, I don't See, like the New York crowd. I would rather mm-hmm. him, but I think that's that's sort of the history that they've been doing New York. Right. So okay. I imagine it'll go that way. But if I had to ask you, what do you think? Let's just to really quickly spitball this. What do you think would be Best Picture winner that you would call right now? What what do you, movie do you think would win Best Picture? Uh, Maestro or The Holdovers, one of the two. I don't have a clue about either, but my gut tells me it's one of those two. All right, now... I'm going to say something. I don't want you to yell at me. Okay. Promise? Mm-hmm, I promise. All right. I think, <laughs> sorry to have to say, if it's not Oppenheimer, and I, I think that no movie directed by a white guy starring a white guy can win Best Picture now, I don't think right. that that's possible. Okay. So I think that what's going to win is <laughs> Next Goal wins. Which one? next goal wins oh my god that's right yeah okay fine okay and and i'll tell you why because it's the kicking puppy movie right there's the only movies that win now are movies that people can't criticize without feeling like they're kicking a puppy so that movie is is about people who have uh, on an island community i'm forgetting which one it was it's it's such an incredible underdog story but that's really not the reason it'll win Okay. The reason right. is because it revolves around a transgender character. No, no, it doesn't revolve around him. It revolves around uh, about around um, uh, you know Fassbender's character. He's the guy. You know, he's the yeah, one but who's he, caring. he saves that team and brings them back from the brink. And people love underdog stories. But I'm telling you, the transgender part of it will bring in the the film Twitter activists and all that. But here's the problem with that. Mm-hmm. This is a transgender female playing in a male sport, not a female sport. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. Sport. So All right. All I wonder right. how that's going to play, right? That that's going to might, might bring up some. Are you saying it's a bio female who's transitioned into being a man? Uh, no, it's a bio man. Transitioned. Who's transitioned into being a woman, but he's still playing or she is still playing. Apparently, male, in male that, team, right? yeah, and in that culture, apparently they actually have a third gender. So it's not the, the, the typical transgender that we have over here. It's a whole different thing. But apparently, it's accepted in their culture that there's just this third gender, and that's what that's what this character is. But regardless, a transgender character will be playing that part. Okay. And accepted fully into that society and one of the heroes. I, I, mm-hmm. I, and it, it being Taika Waititi, I have a really hard time imagining. Oh, no, no. You know what else is going to win? Could win? Mm-hmm. The color mm-hmm. purple. The color purple could totally win the whole thing. Because it's about um, African American community back in the 1800s. And, and because and, it's a musical. And, right? and, uh, what would that be? You tell so me. So when Steven Spielberg made The Color Purple, he took out a neighbor complaints for taking out a certain aspect of the story. Do you remember what that was? Sorry to have to say. He had to take out an aspect of the story of The Color People. I'm sorry, I don't know. Well, she was 
gay. She was a lesbian. And, uh, oh, a woman with the Goldberg's character. Yes. Okay. And fine. They, they did. Yeah. They dampened it. And so they got criticized by the black community. They got criticized by the gay community mm-hmm. for the original color purple. So apparently the new one doesn't do that. So the yeah, new one I'll, is. I'll, I'll, I'll presume that's the case, naturally. Who would dare to even think about suppressing a, a exactly. woman's uh, nature? You know? So I can't oh. think of a movie more 2023 than that, other than Next Goal Wins. Those two are like. Right up in there. So that's that's what I'm thinking. But then considering the, you know, I, we're just going to have to wait to see where uh, film and Oscar Twitter land. It seems to be like nowadays that seems to be the unstoppable force that drives the best picture now. Mm-hmm. So we'll just have to see where they land. But um, right now they're in past lives, so I don't know where they're going to go next. Me, I'm looking at the more traditional Oscar movies like Oppenheimer. Wouldn't that be wonderful if a traditional film actually about the quality of it and nobody paid any damn attention to the uh, identity or the gender of the maker or anything like that? It would be wonderful. I would just be transported and, and so happy that for one year at least, that system that we have now, which everything everywhere all at once won, and you know it's just. But you know, I have I to say that the, the Academy's always been like that. I mean, before this, you and I were complaining about Social mm-hmm. Network not not being able to win over King's Speech. Like they've always been about touchy feely. The heart wants what it wants. Yeah. Um. They've always been about like what makes my friend used to say they like to vote for what makes them look smart what makes mm-hmm. them look good. And they've only just transferred from one kind of movie to another, which is the woke stuff, identity mm-hmm. forward movies, because mm-hmm. it makes them feel good. Like they're doing something good with their vote. So they've mm-hmm. never really just picked the best movie. Right. They think they are, but yeah. ultimately time proves that very rarely do they actually pick the best film of the year. Sometimes they do, but Coda is not going to last. Nobody's going to give a shit about but on the other hand, people do love that movie. So what am I, what am I you know, what do I know? Um, I mean, as we speak, people are, are telling themselves, you know, I'd like to see again just for the fun of the pure joy of it. I'd like to just watch Coda again. No, you know anybody that actually would say that? No, but I know that if anybody tripped upon it and watched it, they go, yeah, that was a good movie. But in a, a very generic, that was mm-hmm. a cute kind of after school movie kind of way, but it, it was like crash, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't want to admit that, but it really was what crash was. Crash was a movie like that because it had that fake death at the end and everybody cried right. and it was moving and it felt important, you know, and, yeah. and it just doesn't stand the test of time, those kinds of films, but they do win Oscars. Let's end this uh, very long discussion with my quoting a passage from a Sasha Stone piece. All right, but uh, we've only gone yes. for 126. We've gone much longer than that before. Much longer, I know. You're just bored with this conversation, I can tell. I just, we got to wrap it up. I thought it would be an interesting thing to wrap it up with this passage. That I'm all right, go to. ahead. It's hard to argue against the idea, which is we're all familiar with, that identity matters more than anything else now. And identity vis-a-vis is the new reversed hierarchy of the Internet. In other words, anything that's not white males or white guys, white people. So what does this mean? Well, the old hierarchy driven by, you know, that means the, the world that 
we grew up in in the 70s and 80s and whatnot, uh, driven by, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, free market and ticket buying majority and good reviews and all that. That was mostly con- controlled by the patriarchy, which we all we now all despise, of course, <laughs> specifically the white male patriarchy, more, even more specifically, the white male heteronormative cisgendered patriarchy. <laughs> there is nothing more despised in the world that we live in right now than what I just read. The Internet mostly reversed that hierarchy, which, you know, we all know that over the last six, seven years. As Gen Z came of age, birched from the loins of Tumblr circa 2012 and helicopter parents like myself. What that means is that they feel good when anyone but the you know, cisgendered patriarchy has made a film of merit. Uh, a woman, a woman of color, a transgender person, someone who is disabled, and the list keeps getting longer. It's basically anything but the majority <laughs> of America, in America. Right. And that is really good. That's exactly what's happening right now. And, uh, That's you know, true. And you, you go on to say that, you know, it's basically, uh, it's a religion of sorts, as we saw when everything everywhere all at once won everything. It was a kind of religious rapture. So when people are deciding what movie they think should win, they're judging from inside that utopian bubble as, a, as opposed to how it used to be decided, you know, via good, great reviews. Is it a really good film, box office, mm. uh, alpha male prowess and so on? But that, that is about as concise and perfectly expressed a description of what's happening now as I've ever read. Well, well, thank you. And, and I just, you know, I told them, my readers, that I have to be honest with them. I'm not going to pretend what's yeah. happening isn't happening. And if you want to be able to predict the Oscars, you have to understand what's driving the Oscars. And, right, um, right. and that's, that's what it is, you know, that's, that's what's going yep. on. And I don't think they mean any harm by it. Mm-hmm. It's just that that's who they are and what they think. And it happens right. to be completely cut off from the rest of the country, which is why Hollywood is sinking fast. Let me suggest something. Um, I understand about uh, being it too long, but why, why not, uh, when we made the edits that you've already discussed, why not just make it a part one and part two? That's not so bad, is it? Um, no, I if honestly, you want to listen to the both, fine. If you don't, don't. I don't think it matters, Jeff, because I think people will stop listening to it if they're bored. That's what I think. It's, it's, I'll, I'll cut it down to, I'll try to make it about an hour, mm-hmm. but I don't think there's any point in doing a... Um, Part one, part two. Okay. Yeah, unless you want me to just, yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to sit there and edit for five million years. I'll just cut it down to one thing. <laughs> okay. And people can, right. you know, if they get bored with it, they can just let me look at it and see how we're doing tra- mm. traffic wise. Okay. Let me just look at that and see what's going mm. on here. Uh, we haven't done this in a while. Well, anyway, uh, hey, I, got, I just, I just remember feeling all during this thing that. We're saying good good things, and I and I and I know when we're kind of like flailing around and not really saying anything. Yeah. And I didn't feel that. I felt that we were really on on on, on track. Well, right. I don't understand why laundry room ramble got more uh, hits than anything else. I don't know why, but that one got the most traffic so far. I don't so. care about that stuff. I, I know, but I'm just telling are. you, I don't understand the difference. Like, I don't know what. It was about that one particularly that did, but they all seem to be, no matter how long they are, no matter what we talk about, they all seem to get like relatively mm-hmm. the same traffic. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't worry too much about it. I'll try to make it as interesting as I can, but I mean, okay. I agree with you. It wasn't the most exciting conversation we've ever had, <laughs> but at what? least we did Which it. Which one? This one. Oh no, it was good. 
It was good. We touched yeah. upon all the best picture things. It was good. Yeah. We'll cut really it. I'll cut it. it down. I might just flip the part where you're talking about best picture stuff and put it at the top. Whatever you think. And then go to the Oppenheimer thing later in case people are just mm-hmm. bored with it and they just don't want to listen to it. That's what I'll do. Hey, by the way, um, just forgetting what we're doing here, uh, recording a podcast, uh, did you happen to pay any attention or have any interest in the, the latest blackwashing thing, the the Nico Parker, <clears throat> you know, the daughter of old Parker and Sandy Way Newton <clears throat> having been cast as in, in the forthcoming live action version of how to train your dragon. Did you know? Hear, hear, hear I haven't heard or? anything about that. Okay. So I don't know what you're talking about. Well, she's basically, it's a Norwegian Viking saga about a young Viking lad or a guy, a young kid who wants to be a Viking and be accepted by his culture. And he meets a dragon and the dragon has a heart and he starts to like the dragon, not something to be vanquished and murdered, but he treats it like a big dog. And it's like a, it's a, it's no, a, I, know. I know what the movie is. I just hadn't heard okay. about the whitewashing or whatever it is. Well, blackwashing, blackwashing. That's when you add a person of some color to a into a piece that's basically about a Norwegian, you know, European, you know, there are a lot of people that say, here comes the, the race switch again, you know, and it's not anything that anybody should worry about because she's a really good actress. I happen to think she was really good in the, um, the last of us, the HBO thing. And she's, a, you know, she's got the gene, you know, she's uh, um, so I just uh, thought it was good, you know. Worth we're seeing, and I don't think. But you you, you must uh, look at this um, very en- enraged video that um, is um, kind of popped last night about a guy who's furious at the, you know, the the, the yokels, the racists who don't like the idea of of women of color playing a role that was originally in the original book. Uh, it was basically a series of children's books. Cressida Crowell, who wrote a whole bunch of them, like eight or nine of them. And um, so, anyway, that, that's worth looking at if you want. Well, I always find that they it, it, they call it race baiting. Like, I feel like one of the ways that people advertise for these movies is they get people all upset about them, and then they advertise people being upset about them, so then, then people can come in and feel defensive of the movie and then go see the movie as an activist thing. Uh-huh. And I, you know, I just, I'm so sick of playing that dumb game. It's like the, the Kardashians used to do that, and Madonna used to do it, and... You know, getting people upset and uh, enraged to sell stuff, I find really boring by now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I don't usually fall for any of that, but I, I don't think that people are actually going to, once that story gets out, people are, are going to see it as woke and they're not going to want to watch it. Okay. That's the problem is that it's not so much the casting that bothers. That's what it's about. That's what they're saying. They don't like, they want to see a Viking movie with Nordic people. You know, because it's part of a Viking culture. That's all they're saying. It's the same old thing. They all, people get, that's what they call blackwashing when you put a person of color. Right, 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 right. Well, you know, if they're, I mean, yeah, I, if they're Vikings, why would they, I mean, is it, if it's fantasy, who cares? But. Well, is there any basis for any fantasy at all? I mean, they, I mean, basically, if you had a, a, a fantasy about a culture called Wakanda in Africa and you suddenly decided to have a white emperor of Wakanda <laughs> or a white queen, wouldn't people say, what the fuck is this about? She's yeah. not from Wakanda, you know. But it never so goes it, the other way. It never know. goes the other way, as we, as we know. It yeah. couldn't and can't. And that's the thing. It's like, to them, their whole universe is about the hierarchy, reversing yeah. that. So to them, like, white people, even now, 
Even now, after all this stuff that's happened, the country's completely reordered itself. Mm -hmm. Uh, Institutions, universities, Hollywood, culture. Even now, they're still saying white people, even the poor guy who lives in, you know, a, a small town in Ohio who has nothing to look forward to except buying a dose of fentanyl. (laughs) <laughs> that he has more privilege and power it's than funny. Michelle Obama. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's the reverse tire because he happens to be white. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah. So yeah. I can't make any sense of it, honestly. It's just, to me, it's just this little cycling fantasy world of people online that, that like live in this little happy little reality of like, yeah, we're making the world a better place because we're, preventing white people and if you say anything about it you're a white supremacist or a racist you know apart from joe biden's people completely kowtowing to the woke the woke fanatics uh, i really understand what people are saying when they don't like the idea of him running again it's not his health i presume he's in good health he obviously takes care of himself they just don't like the idea of an 82 or an 83 or an 84 year old running the country they i'm just gonna don't cut like it. i'll cut this out of our podcast but i just want to say that mm. i really like bobby kennedy he's young he's got a bad voice His i voice know he does me. i know and yeah. he can never win but i like this idea of this young youngish man you know this robust looking handsome man running a Kennedy like I just I've I've come to get like this crush on the guy like I really know his voice and I wish he could fix it but he gives me sounded like he has some kind of horse thing going on with his voice well he has a he has a disease or a disorder that has he's had for his whole life and there's no way to fix it but I agree with you that that's the problem but boy do I really Mm -hmm. like him and I I uh I, I, mm-hmm. I could never dream of such a thing that he could ever be, that he could ever have a chance. But he gives me some hope that there's somebody out there, you know. Michelle Obama could win. Well, you want to, no. you want this country to get more woke and more ESG and all that crap? Put her in office. You think it's bad with Biden? You think she'd be more oh my kowtowing, God. more well, obedient to yes. that whole thing? The whole, okay. What are you talking about? Of course. Anybody in the Obama-Hillary world. Mm-hmm. They're they're the people that sold this shit in the first place. The yeah. identity shit. This is all about that. So mm-hmm. that's what needs to be challenged and taken out. And he doesn't see it that way, Bobby Kennedy. Mm-hmm. I, I just love the guy. I know he won't win. I know he has no shot, but mm-hmm. I'll be voting for him for sure. Um, at least mean, in the primary. You think he'll have enough money to run in the primaries? And all yeah, the he'll run in the primary, but he won't be in the general. I don't know what they're going to do with Biden. I don't know what they're going to That guy, did you see his fall at the... He fell? Yeah, see, that's the funny thing. is like If you're on the left, you just don't see the news. They, they when did that happen? It's amazing that it's all over the news on the right. I'll send you the video. And it doesn't make it on the left. It's so shocking that... Um, that it just is memory. The hold. last thing that happened when he fell was the bike thing. That was like a no, year and no. A half. This year. is this is at his commencement speech. Okay. Just yesterday or whatever at the Air Force Academy, he he they cheer him off stage and he trips and he falls, and he looks so old. Here, I'll send it to you. Oh, I see it. Poor Watch guy. President Biden falls during Air Force commencement. Yeah. Really bad fall. Oh, I'm sorry. That's I too know. bad. I thought it was sad too. He looks old, and I ho- I feel so bad for him to watch him do that. So yeah, I don't know what we're gonna do, man. We're fucked up. Oh wow, in this country. It's- you know what happened? Uh, I was at a Quentin Tarantino thing, 
with uh, uh, Mark Lindsay, uh, formerly of the, the lead singer of Paul Revere and the Raiders. And Mark well, Lindsay. How old is he now? And he was, uh, Quentin was talking to him and everything. And he was, uh, and Mark decided, it was agreed that he would be uh, singing a song or two, you know, from the old days. And he uh, got up and he did the same thing. He fell. Oh, God. What, what, where in Cannes? No, no, this is, uh, I know Quentin was there in Cannes. This is like a, in the wake of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, because, um, I think that uh, Paul Revere was on that soundtrack at some point. Uh, so did you see, um, did you see, uh, this isn't being recorded, so don't worry about it, but did you yeah. see, um, ta- uh, not Tatiana, but Svetlana and Can? Are you guys friends again? Yeah, we, we, we met. Uh, David came late, but they, we met. She stayed in this, uh, in the, the Grey Dalbion uh, Hotel, and it's a, very nice kind of, you know, one bedroom. Basically, if you went into a Motel 6 in San Joaquin, in the San Joaquin Valley, it would be about mm-hmm. the same size, maybe. Uh, and she was paying like a ridiculous amount during the Cannes Festival for it. It was like almost $4,000. Oh, God. So. Well, that's almost what I'm paying in Telluride, sadly. Mm. Which is too much. Way too yeah. much. Um, but it's the cheapest one I could find, believe it or not. Literally the cheapest one. They gave me a huge deal on it, so that's just nuts. And Julia has been saying, you know, you guys are not helping this culture, this town, this festival, by being so greedy and, and grabbing so much, you know. But they do it. They, you can't stop them because they know that people have to come. Well, who wouldn't, who wouldn't do that? I was looking at Taylor Swift tickets because I, I keep seeing clips of her concert, and I thought it would be really fun to go on there. And so I looked at the ticket prices, and they're like – the cheapest one is $1,600, and it goes all the way up to 23000 Like, I mean, that's just nuts. But if people... 23000 for a Telluride rental, you're No, saying? for a Taylor Swift concert ticket, I'm saying... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. No, I'm sorry. just saying that I wanted to go to see her, and I, I looked at the prices, and I was like, oh, my God, that that's just too much. So mm-hmm. um, that... You know, that's that's a bummer, but but people will pay it. And if you had a Telluride condo, wouldn't you charge that much money? Make like 4000 in a weekend? Who wouldn't do that, you know? I'd like to say that I would like to show some limits and not be ultra greedy. But if I knew I could get it, <clears throat> and then <clears throat> nobody would be saying anything one way or the other. You'd do I it. Hate, I hate to say it, but I guess I'd do it, you know. Um, yeah, we didn't get into all the stuff about World War II, about Truman and Roosevelt and all that. I guess we'll have to just save it for next time. We'll be talking about Oppenheimer all year, so uh, no big deal. All right, well, listen, have let's you, go. Um, by the way, have you gotten an invite to see it yet? No, or? I haven't. Okay. I haven't heard a thing, but I can't. I know it's not until early July, so. I really hope that I get to see it. Unfortunately, they're going to make us go to IMAX, which I'm, it's not my favorite thing, but. That's the way to see it. That's the way the whole point of the uh, IMAX shooting. They, 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 you know, they don't want you to see it in a, in a 35 millimeter or digital format. They want you to see 70 millimeter IMAX uh, of a ratio, aspect ratio of 1.43 to one. Well, good for him. Good for Christopher Nolan for keeping movies alive. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, isn't it funny that him and David Fincher were up in 2010 too uh, together, and King's Speech won that year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I've been watching funny. all of these nuclear test 
I mean, these these bombs are so scary. I hope that one never goes off. If 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 we unleash this on the world, oh my lord. But Sasha, there was a balance of power. We we never it never happened, and the, and the, we got closest to it during the Cuban Missile Crisis seventy years ago. There hasn't been an event. No, I know, but we're, we're heading that. into I, world. I just, we're heading into World War Three, man. We're heading into what if if any of these lunatics decide to drop a bomb? That's the end because if Russia decides to drop a bomb on Ukraine, we're going to hit Russia with a whole bunch of nukes. And if we hit Russia, who knows who's going to hit us? Look, we're not liked anymore, unfortunately, internationally. So it's just another anxiety to p- pile on top of all the other anxieties. If you were in uh, Biden's shoes and um, they had, in order to terrorize people and to say, if you want more of this, wait, because we'll, we're ready to do it again. If they yeah. detonated a nuclear device, and killed, say, you know, five or 10 or 20,000 people, what would you do? Nothing? No, I'm not. That's why I'm telling you. I'm not saying he wouldn't. I'm not saying there's no way he wouldn't drop a bomb. Of course, that's the rule of nuclear war. Whoever goes first, the other people are going to hit back. Well, don't you think that's probably a factor in uh, even crazy Putin's thinking that he knows that he'll get hit if he does it? Yeah, no, I agree. I think he's, and it would only be if he was ready to, to um, end everything. I think that that if anybody's likely to do it, it's going to be Iran, a terrorist in Iran, or if they get a hold of one, drop it on us, or Mm -hmm. somebody in North Korea. But even Mm -hmm. that, I don't... You know, any successful country that wants to survive is not going to hit anybody with a nuke. But the countries that don't care that much, anybody, any crazy Islamic person, for instance, Mm -hmm. would drop a bomb just for the sake of it. Yeah. And why wouldn't they? Somebody's going to get a hold right. of one and drop it. But th- there's no point in sitting around worrying about stuff you can't control. I'm just saying, like, it, I don't know. I've just been up after reading about Oppenheimer. I've just been looking at a lot of these crazy, shitty bombs that we built. God, we're nuts. Anyway, I would not. I, 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 I you know, the slaughter, the, the, the agony, the, the loss of life would have been titanic and monumental on the american side not to mention the japanese side well they weren't going to stop the japanese were not going to stop but in the book they did the thing we talked about they talk about they need to they had the option the truman was just such a tight ass but they had the option of showing them and saying this is what we're going to drop on you um they had an option of being of make putting on a theatrical presentation of what's going to happen yeah which they should have done, but I think they wanted to drop it. I think they were mad at the Japanese for, for attacking America. I think that's yeah, the thing. You can't attack our country. We're going to hit you back. You know? mm-hmm. All righty. I okay. guess that's it. It was fun talking to you. Hope you have yes. a good day. I'll cut it down. Don't worry. I'll, I'll make it short. All righty. I will catch okay. you later. All right. Be well. Thanks. Bye. Bye.